this morning, I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 18. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 18 is where we will pick up this week. It was two weeks ago that we were last in 1 Corinthians 14, and we preached verses 1 through 17. Last week, missionary Giltner was here, and he presented his ministry uh, as he heads to Japan. Uh, many of you were not able to be here for that um, presentation. However, it was recorded, and it will be online as well. Uh, the videos that he showed um, are with me still, and I will attempt to show them at some point. Title of the message, Tongues Are for a Sign. We have already given our message uh, that particularly focused upon why we as a church do not believe the sign gifts are still valid for this age. We do not believe that um, tongues and healing and miracles and such are given to the church for this age. That sermon is online and that was our definitive statement. However, today we're going to learn a little bit more about that. That won't be the only thing we focus on. But as Paul presents in 1 Corinthians 14, we'll see uh, very clearly, and, and I trust that as we look in context, you'll see where Paul is going and why he's saying the things he's saying at the time that he is saying them. Now, our focus last time, two weeks ago, as Paul taught, was speaking about the superiority of the ministry gifts above the sign gifts, namely the superiority of what he calls prophesying, the idea of Fourth, telling the word of God, not telling the future, but declaring the word of God to God's people. The superiority of, we might say, preaching above and to speaking in tongues. And he said that the reason why preaching is so much more superior to the gift of tongues is because preaching edifies the church, whereas tongues does not, or certainly does not as well. Now, the reason why we come together every week is in order that we might be edified, that we might be built up in our understanding and in our determination to obey God. This leads naturally to the question or to the understanding that what we are to be built up in is the Word of God. We come together to be built up. Throughout the week, we're ministering, we're living the Word of God, and it can be draining, can't it? You go to work and it might be tough to reflect the Word of God. You interact with your family at home. I, I started pre-marriage counseling this week for a couple that I'm going to have the privilege of marrying in December. And I'm, I'm always blessed by marriage counseling because it reminds me of my responsibilities in the, in, the, in the home. And particularly on the foundational level, my responsibility to love my wife as Christ loves the church her responsibility to submit herself to her husband as the church submits to Christ. And so I love, uh, as I step into that, and these reminders, the reminders that, that I need to be loving my wife to, to um, be built up. But typically, throughout the week, my responsibility is to exercise that love. And I don't always do a good job. And so we need this time to meet together. We need the time to come together and to recharge our batteries, to fill up our tank, to be edified, to be renewed so that we can leave here ready to serve God again. 
The Scriptures are our source of all understanding concerning God, concerning His expectations, concerning His responsibilities. And as Paul presented it, he presented the reality that edification is best when it is done clearly. When we sing with clarity, we are edified. Have you ever been singing one of the songs in our hymnal and and it's just blessed you? It was the reminder that you needed for that week. It convicted your heart of, of something that you have not been doing wrong or that you have not been doing right, excuse me, something you have been doing wrong. It convicted you, it built you up because we sang with clarity. When the pastor preaches with clarity, it is the best circumstance that fosters comprehension and therefore it gives the best opportunity for the Holy Spirit to do something for you, to teach you something. And if we want people to receive the Scriptures and to obey the Scriptures, it's not going to happen through signs of power. It's going to happen through words of power. That is the Word of God. And that's what Paul was saying last time. That was the contrast that he made. That you can be speaking in tongues and you can impress people and you can uh, be blessed yourself and, and you can glorify God in that manner, but the church isn't edified. But the church isn't edified. There's no comprehension there. As we continue today in verses 18 through 25, Paul is still speaking concerning tongues. And my purpose for breaking up last week and this week into two sermons is twofold. The first reason was because uh, I just didn't have enough time to get through all the material. The second reason is because Paul again brings up God's purpose for the sign gifts and specifically for the gift of tongues today. And, and though we've already made our definitive statement, I want us to revisit it. This area is a very charismatic area. As a matter of fact, up here as a whole in Minnesota, there's a great number of charismatics. And that can lead to a lot of questions as to the differences. As a matter of fact, we rent this building from a charismatic denomination, the Assemblies of God. And so that brings questions. And these questions have answers. We don't just do what we do, folks, because it's what we do. We never just do what we do because it's what we do. Tradition will only get you so far. We believe what we believe and we act on it the way we act on it because we look into the Word of God and we draw out what we believe the Word of God has to say. And we stand upon the Word of God and we live the Word of God. And when our understanding of the Word of God changes according to God's leading and, and education, we need to be willing to change. We need to be willing to let the Word of God judge us and change us. And so, we'll revisit again why it is that we do not believe the sign gifts are valid for this age, particularly as we see the presentation today. We will focus in on the gift of tongues. So the verses will strongly reinforce our understanding of the sign gifts and what they were for, their intention, why God um, brought them about to begin with, and why we believe that they have ceased for this age. As we step into verse 18, please take a look at it with me. Paul says, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than ye all. 
Recall the context from last time. Paul talks about the superiority of, of prophecy. He's not forbidding them to speak in tongues. He simply says here, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you speak in tongues. Now, if you read your Bible regularly and know something of Paul's character, this is a little bit outside the norm when it comes to Paul and his interaction with believers. Paul wasn't a jealous guy. Paul wasn't the kind of guy that was constantly comparing himself with others. Typically, Paul's greatest desire, as it's reflected in his writing, was to see believers excel in their faith to, to whatever degree that, that their faith will allow them to. To whatever degree they're willing to step out in faith and do what is right, Paul wants to see them get there. In fact, Paul was so earnest for his fellow believers to excel in God's grace, to excel in spiritual understanding, that he presents their spiritual success as the very thing that keeps him going. The fact that they were doing what was right, that they were growing in grace and in the knowledge of Lord Jesus Christ was the reason why Paul got out of bed in the morning. As a matter of fact, in the Scriptures he said he desired to depart and be with the Lord, but it was more needful for him to stay for the sake of the believers. Because he wanted to grow them more. He wanted to see them grow. He wanted to see them become more like Christ. Consider Paul's words to the church in, Thessalonia, uh, in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8. Paul said, For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. Paul said, It is you standing fast in the Lord that gives us motivation. You know, it's that way for your pastor oftentimes as well. I toil week in and week out making these sermons and, and trying to, to study the Word of God and then to reflect the Word of God and, and come on a Sunday morning and, and I see a lot of blank stares sometimes and it's like, I don't know if anyone got anything. And then a few weeks later, someone says something and I realize, aha, they got it. Or somebody comes up and says, Pastor, this is what the Lord's been teaching me and I say, aha, something's happening. That's why testimony time is a blessing. Because I get to hear what the Lord is doing in your heart and life. And that encourages your pastor. See, because Paul said, for now we live. I live as I learn that you stand fast in the Lord. He said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. It's my desire that you would continue to grow in, your, in grace. Continue to learn more. Continue to understand more. Paul wanted the believers in Christ to push the very limits of their faith, which in each of our lives is really the only thing that limits us in what we can do for God. It's the degree to which we're willing to put our faith in Him. Paul's character does not reflect jealousy. He's not one of those guys that would take Timotheus alongside and start training him and then one day be like, Hey, Timothy, you're just getting too good at this. I'm going to stop teaching you because I don't want you to usurp me. I don't want you to get ahead of me. Paul wasn't one of those. He didn't need to be on some sort of spiritual pedestal. Paul just wanted those whom he taught to excel in grace and in knowledge of the Lord. So why then, when we think of that, when we understand that, why is it that Paul would say in verse 18, I thank my God, I speak in tongues or with tongues more than ye all. Isn't that interesting? A man who desires his 
fellow believers to excel to the very best, why would he be so thankful that he speaks in tongues more than they do? The probable answer is this. If there had been any man in the church whose gift was greater than Paul's to speak in tongues, this church, who we have established several times throughout the course of the study to be a selfish, carnal church, to be a church that is not walking in right fellowship with the Lord, to be a church that has serious problems, this church probably would have simply said, well, Paul, you're just jealous. You're just jealous that this guy speaks in tongues more than you. We're not going to listen to what you have to say. Paul, you don't, you don't really understand. Paul's already had to defend himself in his ministry, hasn't he? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, chapter 10. He had to defend himself already and his motives. So Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all because maybe you'll listen to me. On the contrary, when the man who has been the most gifted in a group is the one who is personally minimizing the usefulness and worth of that gift, it adds credibility to his message. Paul says, I speak in tongues more than all of you and what I'm telling you is tongues is not the most important gift. He goes on to say in verse 19, Yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. In the church, Paul says, in the local church, when we come together as believers, when we meet, when you purpose to get out of bed early in the morning on a Sunday, praise the Lord you do, when you purpose to get out of bed, to get going in the morning, to get to our assembly so that we can worship God together, so we can edify one another. Paul says he would much rather speak only five words with his tongue, in his language, with his understanding, for the purpose of proper teaching, than to speak 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Now this is a big deal. Anyone who's read Paul's epistles, as inspired by the Holy Spirit, can understand that Paul is not a brief speaker, much less a brief writer. In fact, in Acts chapter 20, the Bible tells us when Paul was in Troas, the believers came together on the first day of the week, the day that we typically call Sunday, and they had a meal, and they had preaching to edify one another, and the scriptures tell us that Paul preached until midnight. And he preached so long that a man named Eutychus fell asleep and he happened to be sitting in a window and he fell out of the window and he died. And Paul was able to go down and and by God's help raise him from the dead. That's a message for another day. But what I'm telling you is that Paul could be long-winded. So for Paul to say, I'd much rather just say five words in my tongue than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue, tells us something. Imagine if your pastor preached a five-word sermon. Can't do it. Not, not your pastor. Four, um, better not start with four. God so loved the world. Amen. See you next week. Not, it's, it's edifying. It's good. It's true. But, not a whole lot of content there. Paul says it would be better if you just preach those five words in your tongue than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Wow. Wow. 
So, what Paul is doing here is trying to heavily emphasize the importance of preaching in the church. The importance of edification in the church. See, because if I did speak 10,000 words in an unknown tongue, how many words would you be edified by? Zero. If I spoke five words in a known tongue, how many words would you at least have the potential to be edified by? Five. So, so that, that's, that's kind of what Paul is saying here. Verse 20. He says, Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. So Paul calls them here to not be children in their understanding. Children do a lot of useless things. They do it because they think it's funny or because it's neat or because it's novel. Now, I told you a couple of weeks ago, one of my daughters came up to me after the service, turned her big old brown eyes up to me and smiled and said, Honeybee. Honeybee. My, my, my daughters are really into saying three words right now. I guess honeybees technically two. They say honeybee. They say ladybug. And they say... Alligator, right? Honeybee, ladybug, alligator. I don't know why, but those are three words. They, they, they mean nothing within the context that the girls say them. She just came up to me and said, honeybee. It means nothing. Now, that's cute when one of my daughters comes up. But if Tim were to come up to me after the service, he were to look at me and he were to go, Pastor, honeybee. Honeybee. It's not real cute. It's just kind of weird. It's just kind of different. It's senseless. It's meaningless. There's nothing cute about an adult acting like a child, is there? There's nothing cute about an adult being senseless and meaningless. and It's just kind of useless at that point. You're an adult. You need to grow up. There's nothing endearing about a person who has failed to mature. There really isn't. In like manner, Paul says, it is childish for us as Christians to place more weight upon our desire to manifest some particular gift than to place our weight upon things that truly matter, which is the edification of the body of the local assembly. It's childish for us to say, I, it's more important for me to look spiritual in the assembly than it is for me to edify God's people. And that was what the Corinthian church was doing. We're going to play this game of trying to one-up each other in our spiritual gifts and trying to look super spiritual and trying to be everything that we ought to be uh, externally in a spiritual sense. And we're going to do it at the expense of what really matters, which is God's people being edified, which is God's people doing what's right. Paul said, you're children. And he said, don't be children in understanding. He said, if you want to be children... If you want an area where you, you don't need to mature, where you don't need to advance, how about wickedness? He uses the word malice here. If you don't want to advance in some area, don't advance in malice, in wickedness. Don't advance in your understanding of the world and its sin. Don't advance in your selfishness. Don't advance in your anger. Stay a child in those contexts. But grow up spiritually. It's childish to exalt the spectacular over edification. If there's going to be an area of your life where you simply don't understand what's going on, where you feel distant, where you feel out of the loop, where you feel it's completely foreign, make it wickedness. 
There have been those in Christianity who have stepped into sinful activities and their reason for doing so was that they needed to try to understand the world to reach the world or be like the world to reach the world. If they have no idea what the world is like, then they will be at a disadvantage when interacting with the world. That's their philosophy. Well, God's Word strongly and directly contradicts this way of thinking. Paul says here, be a child in malice. The very foundation of the Christian appeal to the world, the very thing that draws the world to Christ through us, is that we live lives that are free from the sins that have ensnared them. Is that they struggle with their thought life, they struggle with their anger, they struggle with their temptations, and they can't win. Because they are, they are captive to their flesh. And they see a group of people who can love the world as Christ loved the world. They see a group of people who love one another without ulterior motive. They see a group of people who give freely of what they have for the needs of others. They see a group of people who are honest, even at the expense of getting ahead in the world. And they say, there's something different about you. See, the world doesn't come to us because we're like them. The world comes to Christ through us because we're not like them. So it's an inherently wrong philosophy for us to say we must become like the world to win the world. As a matter of fact, it's anti. It's counterproductive. Anti-productive. Paul would say a similar thing in Romans chapter 16, verse 19. He says, For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad therefore on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. You don't have to learn all the evil in the world in order to combat it. As a matter of fact, you'd be well advised to stay away from it as best you can and be wise concerning the good. There are always going to be people in Christianity who inherently understand a life of sin because they were saved out of a life of sin. I was saved when I was very young. So I don't understand all of those sins that people get themselves into. I don't understand what it is to be a drunkard. I don't understand what it is um, to have a promiscuous lifestyle. I don't understand what it is to live a life uh, uh, that is built upon lies. I don't understand what it is to steal uh, regularly and to, to, to make a living off of... I don't understand those things. But there are people even in this assembly that do. So I don't need to go out and become like the world to understand the world. I just need to send somebody that already st- that's been redeemed from the world to go talk to those people. There's plenty of people that have been redeemed out of it. I don't need to, to, to get into it. Does that make sense? The last thing any born-again believer needs to do is purposefully enter into sin in order to reach the world. It's not just foolishness. It is blatant disobedience to the Word of God. So Paul is calling them to be simple in their understanding of wickedness. But when it comes to spiritual things, spiritual gifts, God's purpose for the church, these sorts of things, God wants us to be mature in our understanding of what He's doing so that we can major on the majors and minor on the minors in our Christian life. We have a a, a strange way of, of majoring on the minors, don't we? We choose the little things that we find easy and we make them really important so that we can judge everyone else for it and make them and feel like we're spiritual and they're not. And we end up majoring on the minors and minoring on the majors. Uh, Jesus Christ said it this way to the Sadducees and Pharisees. You strain at a gnat 
right? And swallow what? A camel. You're straining at a gnat and you're swallowing a camel. Jesus said in Sermon on the Mount, you take the beam out of your own eye before you take the splinter out of your brother's eye. So this is a human tendency to, to, to choose our little things and to, to bubble them up to the major category. Paul says, be wise. And if you're wise, you'll understand what's important and what's not. You'll understand where the priorities are intended to fall. Verse 21 Paul says, In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord. Now I told you we'd be getting back to the why. Why Paul is minimizing the gift of tongues and highlighting the gift of foretelling, preaching, prophecy. I told you we would learn even more specifically why we do not believe the sign gifts, and particularly as we look at this passage, the gift of tongues is valid for the church today. Verse 21 helps us with this. Here Paul is quoting from Isaiah chapter 28, verses 11 and 12, which say this, For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. Now here, as God is writing, Uh, the Scriptures through the pen of Isaiah, God makes a promise. And He makes a promise to a certain people. Who? Specifically in this text, this people. Well, who is this people? There's no doubt that the ones to whom this promise was given is Israel. National Israel. Isaiah was a prophet to Israel. He says, I will speak to this people with stammering lips and with another tongue. So God's promise was that this other tongue, these stammering lips, would be spoken directly to Israel. Keep that in your mind. The message of those stammering lips would be this. This is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. I don't know if those words ring a bell to you, But on the day of Pentecost, as Peter was preaching, he used those words. After having just spoken to the people about the tongues that uh, uh, the people um, about the tongues that they had been speaking in, saying that it was the fulfillment of the sign of Joel to the nation of Israel, he says this in Acts chapter three, verse nineteen: "Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out." when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Just as we stated that tongues would be a sign of the last days, that's what Joel said, and we said that in our message several weeks ago, Joel promised that tongues would be a sign of the last days initiating. A sign to Israel so that they'd get on board with God's program. Here, in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Peter links the promise of Isaiah to this time, saying that with stammering lips, the Lord is speaking to this people. And what was the message? That the time of refreshing will come. Specifically in Isaiah, that this is the rest wherewith the weary may rest, or that would cause the weary to rest. So, the gift of tongues 
was a gift that was meant to indicate that the last days had come and that the times of refreshing were at hand. Both of those prophecies given to national Israel. The sign was intended then to warn the Jews. And Isaiah 28 told us that the people who would speak in these tongues would claim that their message was the means of rest. That their message was the means by which they could enter into the times of refreshing. Well, let's think about this. So, so Isaiah 28 says that there will be a people that will speak to you. They will speak to you with stammering tongues and those people will give you a message that it is through this message that the times are refreshing and that the rest can come. Well, what people group is it that delivered this message that spoke in tongues? It was the church. It was the church that spoke in tongues and Isaiah 28 specifically says that the tongues were intended to be spoken from the church to Israel to show Israel that the times of the refreshing had come, to show Israel that the last days had come, to show Israel that the church was of God. Because Israel was going to have a hard time with that, weren't they? They were going to have a hard time transitioning from the law to grace, from, from the expectations of the law to the grace under Jesus Christ. And in order to help them, to help validate that transition, God said, I'm going to give you this sign, the new, this new group through whom I am working will validate that it is the group through whom I'm working by speaking in tongues. This is a sign gift to validate so that you will get on board with this new group. In other words, so that Israel would recognize that the church is through whom God is working, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, and that the message of the church, which is be saved through Jesus Christ alone, is the message that they need if they want the times of refreshing to come, if they want to see the last days come favorably for them. So it's a sign to the Jews of the last days. Now in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is linking the gift of tongues specifically to this Jewish prophecy. But we continue in verse 22, and here it is. Here's the purpose for tongues in plain black and white. This is a great verse if you've got people that are really struggling with this. Verse 22, Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. Now we have learned three things about tongues. The gift of tongues. Tongues is a sign. Specifically, a sign gift, not a typical part of ministry. Number two, Tongues are for the Jews as a specific fulfillment of Jewish prophecy concerning the last days and the times of refreshing. Number three, that tongues are directed specifically for unbelievers. Tongues are a sign to the Jews who are unbelievers. That is the exclusive purpose of tongues as presented in the Scriptures. A sign to unbelieving Jews to repent and to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, and namely the gospel through His church. That's it, folks. That is the purpose for tongues given in the Bible. You do the study, and you will find that there is no other purpose for tongues given. Tongues is not meant to be what it has become today. Let me ask you before we talk about that. 
When have you ever seen or heard of tongues being used for its proper purpose in the modern church? Think of any charismatic ministry. Are they using it as a sign to unbelieving Jews of the last days? That's not what it's used for, is it? In many churches, it's a sign of salvation or a second blessing or it's meant to be some sort of um, use unto edifying. But that's not what, that's not what it's for. That's not why God instituted it. It's very clear in Scripture that that's not what it's for. Now, next time we're together, as we continue in 1 Corinthians 14, we'll look at the various rules that are intended to apply to the gift of tongues. I have known churches and people who try to play by those rules as they try to exercise the gift of tongues today. But even in those churches that try to play by the rules, they're still ignoring tongues' purpose. A purpose which has been so firmly established now by the church and through the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ that it's really no longer necessary. Tongues is not anymore going to convince Jews of anything. The charismatic movement has not brought Israel back to Christ. Tongues is no longer serving its purpose. Therefore, likely, tongues is no longer valid in the church. Do you see why we make that leap? But that's not Paul's only point in this verse either. Notice the second half. He says, But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. So whereas tongues is meant to be assigned to unbelieving Jews, on the contrary, preaching, prophesying in the assembly, that's the context within which Paul is, preaching is intended to be a gift specifically directed toward believers. Why? Remember when we spoke about prophesying and what it is. It is the declaration of the revealed Word of God calling upon those who have received God's Word to come back to it, to obey it, to live by it. This is the primary function of the prophet. So if God's people really want to be useful in the church, Paul says, the body of believers, where they go to grow, where they go to be edified, to learn, to resolve to live righteously, they would lay down their infatuation with the wonder of tongues and they would pick up their Bibles, they would read them, they would study them, they would memorize them so that they could proclaim the truth to others. This is why your pastor does what he does in the assembly. I preach the gospel when the gospel comes up, but my focus in the assembly is to give you sound doctrine to help you grow. We go out and we win souls to Christ and we bring them into the church. We do special events to bring unbelievers in and we preach to them the gospel so that they can come join us on Sunday and they can learn. The point of us being here is not for unbelievers. The point of us being here is so that you can grow, so that you can mature and then go out and reach the unbelievers in your neighborhoods in your families, in your communities. Verse 23. Paul says, If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues, and there come those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? That word literally meaning to rave or to be a maniac. He says, Imagine a whole church coming together speaking in tongues. You're all trying to show yourselves to be super spiritual. So you're speaking in tongues and he's speaking in tongues and everyone's speaking in tongues and everyone's like, oh, look how spiritual everyone is. Oh, they're filled with the Spirit. And an unbeliever comes in 
And Paul says, what's he going to think? He can't understand anything anyone's saying. Now, this doesn't mean everyone's speaking at once, that we're all babbling at once. This is in, in succession. He's going to think you guys are crazy. Even an unbeliever. If he comes in and sees a whole bunch of people muttering and babbling, not learning anything, not growing, he's going to think that you're all a bunch of crazies. Why, why even come? What's the point of even being here? I can't understand what he's saying. They can't even understand what each other is saying. We're all just here showing off, I guess. <laughs> Paul says, will they not think you're mad? But look at verse 24. But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. Let's put the scenario on the other foot. Everyone's prophesying now. People come up one by one and they, they teach what the Lord has been showing them from the Word of God. They say, I've studied this out and this is what God has showed me. They are now declaring the Word of God and exhorting one another to grow in the Word of God. Paul says, now an unbeliever comes in or now a Christian who is immature comes in. They're going to start hearing this stuff and they're going to be admonished. They're going to be convicted. They're going to be scrutinized. The Holy Spirit will begin to tug on their heart that they don't have what these people have. That they don't know what these people know. That, that the Word of God is true and that they are not obeying it. And they will be convinced of all. This man, far from thinking you a bunch of crazies, might just be convicted of his own sin. Feel the judgment of God upon him. Because at least, even if he can't understand all of the spiritual concepts, because... The unbeliever cannot understand all that is of the Spirit of God. At least, it's in his language. Which gives the opportunity for him to hear of his sin and his responsibility before God and to repent. And so verse 25 says, and this is where we'll close for today, And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. The man will possibly come face to face with his sin, change his mind and become a believer. And if not, he will at least declare that there's something happening here. If the unbeliever comes in and doesn't repent of their sin through what we, what we do here on any given Sunday, they will at least leave knowing that we are serious about God. And that we are going to grow in grace and knowledge and understanding of God and that we are going to live it in our lives. We get to be a testimony. So that's what Paul is saying. That's what he has said. Knowledge without application doesn't do a whole lot of good to anyone though, does it? So let's take some time to apply the Word of God to our hearts. Two ways this morning. We've talked about some other things that I trust the Holy Spirit will work with you about. But um, two, two elements of application. The first one being this. Preaching in the church assembly is meant to be an exercise for believers and open to unbelievers. I told you this is why we do what we do. I'd like to solidify this as you seek to understand your pastor's motivation for why he teaches the way he teaches, why he does what he does. I'm a young man. Things are going to change as my ministry progresses. But as we philosophically do what we do, this is why. Our weekly assemblies are not intended or designed for unbelievers. My messages are focused toward believers. My, the songs we sing are focused toward believers. Now, this does not mean that unbelievers are unwelcome. You know this. 
On the contrary, unbelievers, when they come into our assembly, they should feel warmth and hospitality and kindness. They should, they should recognize the love of God that is shined in our hearts. However, for all that they should feel welcome and warm and um, feel as though we were hospitable, that doesn't necessarily mean they should feel comfortable around us. They should know that we are different. They should recognize that there's something different about these folks. Now, at first they may say there's something weird about these folks. But if they take some time, if they're willing to be patient, they'll find out it's not weird, it's just different. And as they continue to spend time around us, they'll find out what's different is Christ. If we're doing what we ought to do. They should leave with an overwhelming feeling of absence because they are lacking the joy and the peace and the understanding that accompanies being a Holy Spirit indwelled believer. Likewise, this does not necessarily mean that we can never focus our meetings upon unbelievers. If we do choose to have an evangelistic Sunday where we have a specific invitation to unbelievers to come and we have a specific gospel message, this is a good thing. This should not concern us. What should concern us, however, is when the church assembly is used for nothing but getting unbelievers in our doors so that we never grow, so that you never learn anything. You're constantly only ever hearing the milk of the Word, not the meat of the Word, because we can't get over the fact that we have unbelievers to preach to. God wants you to become a mature believer and to come to, to our assemblies together with the expectation that you will know the Bible better, know God better, and be equipped to go out and win souls to Christ through your time here. If the primary purpose of the church's ministry falls short of this reality, then it does indeed fall short of God's intent as Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 14. Point number two, and then we'll close. The scriptural purpose for tongues is clear, as is the unbiblical nature of the modern charismatic movement. I'm not going to beat around the bush here, folks. I'm not saying that all, the, all charismatics are going to hell Many charismatics still believe in salvation by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. They're still on their way to heaven if they believe in salvation by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and have accepted that for themselves. We all have blind spots in our doctrine. Your pastor does, just like everybody. But what I am saying is this is an area that, biblically speaking, we can be confident the charismatic movement is wrong. The charismatic movement is wrong. I'm going to say it plainly. You may not be as confident. That's fine. We're not going to kick you out of the church or anything of the sort. But my study, and as I have presented it to you, gives me great confidence in that. I know many of you know people that attend charismatic churches. And as I mentioned, this church even rents this building from a charismatic denomination. But this does not change the reality that the operation of the sign gifts and specifically the gift of tongues in the modern charismatic movement is deeply errant. And you are now fully equipped with the tools necessary to combat this error. When people ask you about it, when a person asks you about tongues, you can take them to Acts chapter 2, verse 17, where Peter is quoting Joel. You can take them to Acts chapter 3, verse 19, where Peter is quoting Isaiah 28. 
You can take them to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23, that says tongues is a sign to unbelievers, not to believers. You can show them why it is that the charismatic movement is out of balance in their use of tongues. You might even want to write those references in your Bible. Let me give them to you again. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. And 1 Corinthians 14, 23. Uh, One of the Bibles I use when I go door knocking has verses written in it depending on who I'm going to come up against. It has a Jehovah's Witness section. has a Mormon section. has a Charismatic section. Verses that I can use to present to them and has a Catholic section, an understanding of where their theology has gone wrong. Again, this is not me saying, I'm right and you're wrong all the time. I know everything you don't. But let me present to you some verses that kind of challenge your thinking so that you can help people out. Be willing to do that. Be ready to do that. Have, have a gospel. Have verses that present the gospel clearly, written in your Bible. In the margin, link from one verse to the next. You just know the, the first one's on your front cover. Say, we're going to turn to this one. You turn to that one. You present it. You explain it. In the margin, right next to that verse is the next one you need to turn to. Turn to that one. Present it. Explain it. In the margin, write the next verse. You can just hop through your Bible. You don't even have to have it in your head. It'll get there eventually. And then you can just walk them through the Bible showing them what the Bible says. You can do it for salvation. You can do it for any of these issues. I encourage you. Have these issues ready at hand. Have an answer for them that ask of the hope that lieth in you. When you see a church service filled with incoherent babbling, don't interpret this as a sign of spiritual power. If anything, you can interpret it as a sign of spiritual immaturity or spiritual misunderstanding. They just don't quite understand what the Word of God says about the sign gifts. But also allow your discernment to be informed by what you know about preaching. That preaching is the ministry that empowers God's people to learn, to grow, and to be effective. That if we are going to be effective as God's people, it will be through understanding God's Word and obeying God's Word. That is where the power of the Gospel resides, is in the Word of God. So as we go out from here, May God help each one of us as we seek to be edified by the Word of God to obey it. To keep the majors, the majors, the minors, the minors and then to reflect it to a lost and a dying world to see them saved and to bring them into the assembly. Let's pray together.